0: As I said, um, we're uh, looking at the theme of suffering uh, today, Um, and uh, there's no shortage of suffering in the news. Uh, We've been looking, uh, we've been praying for uh, the crisis, the war that is going on, uh, Israel and Gaza. Um, Suffering is a painful part of... Many of our lives, even right now, those, some of us are at home struggling uh, with major sort of illnesses, uh, some are facing major operations, others have just had major operations. Uh, others have got sort of relational tensions in their family. And so today I want to sort of ask the question of where can we find the resources to face such times? And if you're not in a difficult place, then we still want to know the answer to this question. Where can we find the resources when uh, to cope with suffering? And if you've been with us since the start of this term, you'll know that we've been uh, following a series of talks um, exploring what the New Testament says about the church. And we've been framing these, uh, the, the, the weekly themes um, on uh, different words, each beginning with the letter S. Uh, we've looked at how the church is called to be sacred, the, the heart of church is not activity, there's a holy and a living and a real God. We've looked at how we're called to be steadfast to things like the breaking of bread and sitting under God's word and to prayer. We've, we've talked about sharing, about uh, how sharing lives together is, is actually what it means to be uh, a church. We've looked at serving. And today, we're gonna be looking at an often overlooked aspect of being a community of people traveling through life together, and that is suffering. Now, of course, people of all faiths and of none will face suffering in this life. Uh, what is clear from the page of the New Testament is that Christians are not exempt from suffering. We too will face suffering. In fact, there may be times in our lives when we are called to suffer just because we are followers of Jesus. And Jesus said this Multiple times. I could be up here for 20 minutes reading out the bits out of the New Testament which speaks about Christians being persecuted. And and that's why we support, uh, as a church family, open doors. Millions of Christians are facing death, imprisonment, torture because of their faith. And we thank God for the religious freedoms that we have in this country. We do not take them for granted. But let's just read one from each gospel, shall we? Just Matthew's gospel, verse 24, he says this to uh, his followers. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. In Mark's, he says this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me in Luke chapter 6 Jesus said blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you when they insult you and they reject your name as evil because of the son of man the son of man is the way that Jesus used to talk about himself because of me Jesus is saying in John's gospel Jesus says remember what I've told you a servant is not greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so Christians are not immune from suffering. Sometimes we may even be called to suffer because we're followers of Jesus. But today I want to ask the question, where do we find the resources for dealing with suffering? And this book here is full of great and godly wisdom on this topic. Yeah? And today I want to just explore just three short verses and draw out two tools that will equip us to live well through all the seasons of life. And so if you've got a Bible in front of you, feel free to turn with me uh, to page uh, 1135, 1135. Or if you haven't, then don't worry, the words are going to be on the screen above me. Um, And so we're going to look at Romans 8, verses 16 to 18. When this was obviously originally written, it didn't have these sort of subheadings in the text. This is what sort of later people have added to help us understand what he's talking about. But we're going to read verses 16 to 18. So let's read God's word together. Lord, speak by your spirit. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is God's word. Amen. So how can we handle suffering well? What are the resources that Christianity offers? Well, there are many, too many to unpack this morning. But as I said, there are just two that I want to quickly sort of unpack from these three verses this morning. And the first is this. Open your heart. Open your heart. We need to open our hearts and embrace God as Father. In verses 16 to 17, we are twice reminded that we are God's children. And the previous verse, verse 15, if you've got the Bibles open, says that God is our Father. Actually, it doesn't just say Father. We we cry out to him, Abba Father, which is a a really intimate term of fatherhood. Not an aloof father that stands at a distance, but an intimate father. And what's interesting in these verses is how close the truth of God is as Father is brought into a connection with suffering. God as Father is brought into a really close connection with suffering in these verses. You see, most people, I would suggest, don't actually have a good grasp on the idea as God as Father. We're used to saying it, our Father who is in heaven, but we actually don't really relate to God in that way. Rather, I would suggest that we relate to God more like an employer. Like like someone who we work for, you know, what do you do with an employer? You know, you do certain things for them and in response they provide you with certain benefits, namely your wages. That's how we treat employers, you do things for them, you get things back from them. But if this is how you understand your relationship with God, that when suffering comes, friends, the wheels will fall off the wagon. That's all I can say. The wheels will fall off the wagon. Because if God is your employer rather than your father, when suffering comes, you're going to say, hold a minute, God, I've kept my end of the bargain. You know, I've tried to live a good life, so where are my wages? You, know, you owe me. You owe me. But God is not our employer who owes us. God is our father who loves us. And today, we've given thanks for, and we've prayed God's blessing upon Zach and Chloe. And I'm sure you'll agree that Sarah and Tim uh, are, 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 are gonna be great parents and will do everything within their power to love and support and, and encourage Zach and Chloe. But thinking of them as parents, and I'm sure they'll be both great parents, I particularly wanna focus today on God as Father. So let's take Tim as an example. Um, let's see how Tim might react in certain contexts. Now, imagine Zach wakes up in the middle of the night, yeah, and he cries out, cries out. Perhaps he's in pain, or, or, or perhaps he's having a terrible dream. What would Tim do in that instance? You know, do you think he's lying in bed and thinking, well, actually, Zach's been a bit of a pain today. I'm, I'm not going to go to him. Or, Zach's been really disobedient. I'm not. It doesn't matter if Zach's been good or he's been bad. Tim runs to him. And God isn't just any father, because some of us have complicated relationships with our earthly fathers, but God is the perfect father. And when you cry out to God in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night or at any time in the day, he doesn't stand aloof at a distance, he runs to his children. That's what Sue shared today. She came up to me this middle of this week, she told me her story, and she says to me, David, I must tell people this. I must tell people, no matter how they are feeling, God wants them to know that he is always by their side. God runs to you as father. He is always by your side. Even if you are alone, he is there with you. And the second aspect of being a child of God is that we don't always understand what our Heavenly Father is doing. Let's take Tim as an example again. You know, as Chloe uh, sort of uh, grow, continues to grow up, he probably finds himself uh, saying things such as, you know, don't put that thing in your mouth, or you can't play with that as a toy. Uh, and sometimes when he says these things, Chloe will start to cry because she just doesn't understand what her father is doing. She doesn't understand why she can't play with that sharp object, or she doesn't understand why she can't, you know, chew on the dog's tail, whatever it is, you know. You know it, and, and as God is our father, it should not be surprising to us that there are things that will happen in our lives where we do not understand. And just like Chloe has to trust her father We have to trust our Heavenly Father. You know, if you get on a train and it goes through a tunnel and it starts to get dark, you know, you don't rip up your tickets and jump off the train. You stray on the train and you trust the driver. Because if God was small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. And if God is big enough to worship then he's big enough to have plans that we do not understand. We may not understand what, why something is happening, but what we do understand is that God loves us. I cannot tell you the reason for, what, for why you are suffering, but what I can tell you is the reason, the, the reason why you are not, I can tell you it's going to come out. I can tell you what is not the reason why you are suffering. You are not suffering because God doesn't love you. Okay? Because God does love you. How can we uh, handle suffering well? What are the resources that Christianity offers? Uh, Well, firstly, we are called to open our hearts and embrace God as Father. And secondly, we are asked to switch on our brains. Switch on our brains. There's a, there's a great misunderstanding out there that to become a Christian, you simply need to switch off your brain and nothing could be further from the truth. To become a Christian involves a willingness to think more clearly, to actually be courageous enough to think about the big questions in life rather than just being whooshed along through the through through life I mean I can remember studying physics at university and and I went to see uh one of the most eminent professors in the whole country and I had a question for him on causality and at the time I was not a Christian my parents never took me to church faith was not on my radar and science is where I was going to get all of my answers and I asked this question to him And this was the response that I received. He said this, David, physicists don't ask those kinds of questions. And it was a technical and a scientific question, and he said to me, this eminent professor, switch off your brain. Don't go there. Physicists don't ask those type of questions. And I can remember walking from that place, I suppose in shock because I'd built my life upon a lie that science could answer all of my questions, and now I was being told by someone who I hugely respected, who went on to become sort of chair of the the Society of Physics in, in this in this nation, not to ask certain questions, to switch off my brain, which takes me to verse 18. Of our passage today, it says this I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. In the original Greek that this, this letter was written in, the phrase which we translate in English, I consider, in other versions are translated slightly differently, because the Greek word there is logizomai. And logizomai is the root word. of the English terms of logic or logical. And the author is urging us here to switch on our brains, to think clearly, to think logically. He wants us to think properly and to reach a logical conclusion. Now let's compare what the Bible tells us to do with suffering, which is to think logically about it, to what secular culture tells us to do with suffering. Of all the cultures throughout history, our current secular culture provides the least resources for dealing with suffering, because every other culture believes that there is something else beyond this life. But secular culture says that there is nothing, and therefore, all your happiness needs to be rooted in the here and now. But what this means, is when suffering comes and takes away our happiness, there is no remedy. There is no hope. Because secular culture says, enjoy life in the here and now, but in the end, everything is gonna be stripped away from you. You know, your health, your loved ones, you're gonna be stripped away from your loved ones. Everything you care about is going to be stripped away with you. So you better enjoy life now, and you better switch off your brain, and you better stop thinking. Do not think about the sorrow which is to come. How does a secular person cope with suffering? They switch off their brains. You know, they distract themselves with shopping, or with comfort eating, or by numbing their thoughts through through alcohol or substances. But by contrast, what does our passage say? To us, verse 18, Christians are encouraged to switch on their brains when facing suffering, to think rationally and reasonably that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. will not be... You know, our secular culture... Uh, approach to suffering is not to think about the future, but the Christian approach to suffering is to think as much as possible about the future. As the late uh, author and New York City pastor Tim Keller put it, he said this, if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and you believe in him, then the Lord of the universe is your father, which means the bad things your bad things will turn out for good the good things you have will never be taken from you and the best things are to come and so friends open your hearts to god because he runs to you he is by your side he will never leave you you may not understand what is going on but you can know his love in your life and friends switch on your brains secular culture sits in the middle of life's joys and tells you not to think about the coming sorrow. Christianity equips and empowers you so that you can even sit in the middle of life's suffering and look forward to the coming joy. But friends, none of this is activated. None of this really changes our inner person unless we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Let's read again, that middle verse, which we skipped over, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. We are to share in his sufferings if we want to share in his glory. If you want to share in the glory which is coming, we need to be willing to identify today with the one who came to suffer for us, turn back and read one page to Romans 6. And in verse 3, you will read that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, imagine that this piece of paper is you or me. And this Bible is Jesus. What Romans 6, and go away and read it, is saying this: that when we place our faith in Jesus, when we are baptized, We're baptized into Jesus. We are being baptized into his death. That's what it says in Romans chapter three. Now, we are, in the words of this passage, sharing in his sufferings. We have been baptized into his death. But the thing is, now, whatever happens to this Bible also happens to us. And then it goes on to say in verse five, and if we have been united with him in death, we will also certainly be united with him in the resurrection. And in verse 8, it repeats it. And if we died with Christ, we will certainly live with Christ. As our passage today says, if we are willing to share in his sufferings, if we are willing to be part.